Welcome to the Dope CFO Podcast, where you can find the best information for accountants and bookkeepers that want to start and grow a highly profitable and flexible remote cannabis accounting firm with your hosts, Naomi Granger and Andrew Hunziker. Now that's dope. Let's talk about some of the challenges with retail cannabis inventory. Uh, challenge number one, software. I don't know how many of you guys have been following us for quite some time, but we've done a few presentations on software issues in cannabis. Cannabis is the only industry that requires that you have a state mandated inventory software. However, Andrew did mention earlier today that um, Washington State is, going to, is trying to do away with metric because um, they've been having some issues with yeah. it. But, yeah, so the um, metric is one of the, the very bad pieces of state seed to sales software, and, and Washington's now about five years in, is looking at doing away with it altogether. They've had so many issues. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so you have software issues. You have So they just think about it. If you have a state-mandated software that was built by the government, it's not going to inter, um, integrate or sync with any other item. Um, Metric is supposed to sync with green bits. However, we've had issues with the sync not going through correctly. So the um, incorrect data is syncing between the software. You have brand new software. So green bits is a POS system, which is new, maybe two to three years on the market. So it has bugs and kinks and it's not as robust as something that's been out on the market for quite some time. Um, so you have incorrect data in the software. Uh, you have uh, people that are using the wrong tax codes because they're in, you'll see in this presentation, you have 471.11 and 471-3. And if you're not reading it properly, you may misinterpret and apply the wrong codes to your dispensary or to your cultivator. Um, you might be doing cost accounting incorrectly or not at all, um, not understanding that you are not allowed to take operating expenses. Uh, you may not be doing GAAP, and you'll see in the tax code that uh, some of the deductions require that your books are kept under generally ex accepted accounting practices in order to even take those deductions. So if you're ignoring that piece and taking additional deductions, then you'll get hit um, with huge fines and penalties by the IRS. A lot of these companies don't have inventory policies or procedures or even controls in place. This is an industry where it's very high cash base. The volume of, of plants that are in these growth facilities and in, that are in these dispensaries, there's, that's a, a, a cash crop. And so there's a lot of, of room for error, a lot of room for shrinkage, theft. Um, and if you don't have procedures in place, you're always going to have a reconciliation issue at the end of the month and, the end, and especially if you're not doing it daily or weekly and you're waiting to the end of the month or even the end of the quarter, you're not going to be able to fix it at that point. And so you do need to have, um, a lot of people don't have inventory counts. They don't really understand the seed to sell process and they don't really understand the different verticals. So we're going to get into all of that in this presentation today. And um, so first we're going to talk about the tax codes and I actually have another polling question for this. Um, just so that we can see if you guys are familiar with the tax code. So I just launched the polling question. It's, are you familiar with the tax codes that govern cannabis? Um, we have yes, no, and not sure. Uh, so yeah, well, 66% of you guys so far are saying yes. Um, 26 are saying no. 
and 10% are saying not sure. Okay, so I'll leave this up for another couple of seconds. 82% uh, of you guys have voted. Okay, let me end this poll and share the results so you guys can see. So 66% of you are saying yes and 30, 23 no and 11% not sure. So we're gonna get into that for all of you that do not know and are not sure. And this will be a refresher for you guys who are familiar with it. All right, so the first overarching tax code is IRC 280E. And it basically just says, if you are trafficking a Schedule One or a Schedule II controlled substance, which marijuana is still classified as a Schedule One controlled substance, then you are still required to pay taxes. However, you do not get the benefit of taking any deductions or credits. Um, so that means operating expenses or any type of, of business credits that the government may have out there, R&D credits. I hear that a lot. People are doing that for cannabis companies. The tax code uh, is black and white and says no deductions or credits shall be allowed. Um, and, but however, you can take your cost uh, cost of goods sold because that's part of the definition of gross receipts and that's why cost of cost accounting cost of goods sold is a big issue when it comes to cannabis and that's the reason why we're going to do this presentation and dive deeper into 471 which kind of governs what types of cost you can take yeah i'll start jumping into this and um even for those of you many of you are actually in our program already you know it's it never hurts to go through these codes, which you can Google for IRC 471 and just read it on your screen as we go or afterwards as well. Um, since this is the primary code hitting cannabis right now, um, read and reread this because there's a lot of meat into it. And we'll go over some of the highlights today, but um, it, it's what you need to know as your basis point. So basically it's broken into sections. And the first 471.2 is around valuation. So once you figure out what your cost of inventory is, you still have to use some kind of measure to value it. And normally for gap and tax, that's lower of cost or market. Um, sometimes market price comes into play because like Oregon, where market price actually may be lower than cost. And so you have to make a, an entry to reduce inventory or write it down to the lower market price. <clears throat> That's not a part of cost of goods sold as well. So it's not a great situation to be in. And 471.3, we're gonna look at closer here in a minute. That's for retailers and dispensaries. It's basically inventory is the invoice price plus transportation and other necessary costs. Um, if you do production or further manufacturing to the product, you can allocate some more of the costs under 471.11 below. So 471.11 typically is for cultivators, processors, and manufacturer of edibles. That allows many more costs to be allocated to um, inventory and cost of goods sold. So that's a good thing for most um, dispensary and manufacturer owners. And that's gonna be all direct costs plus a determination of three categories of indirect costs. So we'll go over all that here in the next few slides. So as I go through these slides, some of this is meaty. I tried to put it in italics, and this is what you can just Google quickly and read the even expanded version. Like I tried to just cut and paste some of the highlights. So 471.3, 
cost means in the case of merchandise on hand at the beginning of the year, that's the inventory price. On merchandise that you purchased in the year, it's the invoice price, less trade or other discounts, except strictly cash discounts, approximating a fair interest rate. So to this net invoice price, you can add transportation or other necessary charges incurred in acquiring possession. But again, that's pretty narrow. So if you buy, I don't know, 10 pounds of pop from somebody, more often than not, they're driving it to your location. You're not picking it up. But if you're picking it up, you could add those costs in as well. Again, 263A for non-cannabis people, 263A is down here at the bottom mentioned, but we'll go over the Harborside opinion, which clearly states those costs are not allowed, so we don't need to consider those yet. Um, this is a pretty narrow definition. When you go read the whole thing, it's really only about three paragraphs. It's pretty narrow. The part, this is the second part of its um, letter C. This is where you can get a little bit more um, subjective and hopefully add a little more cost. So in the case of merchandise produced by the taxpayer since the beginning of the year, so just look at what that said. Most retailers in America don't produce anything. They just buy whatever products they're selling and they sell them. But sometimes with cannabis, there is the opportunity to actually manufacture or produce part of the goods. And so if that is the case, then you can allocate the cost of raw materials and supplies and expenditures for direct labor and indirect production costs incident to a necessary for production. And so this is where you can roll into 471.11, might come into play and you can allocate more cost in inventory. As we'll see, um, this requires an essential change to the character of the merchandise and also must be owned by the retailer. Harborside um, failed on the ownership part of this in their case. And so we'll, we'll look at that. So there's many ways to do this wrong and still lose to the IRS. And so you also, if you are utilizing 471.11 at all, you must be doing gap in your recurring financials. That's another place where many dispensaries are not doing things right. So then um, I was just looking at comments. Um, so let's, we'll, so this we ran through in our 471.11 webinar much deeper, but we'll look at this again at a, a quick higher level because we're gonna assume that for this, for this um, deep dive into retail, we'll just assume that some of the dispensaries are able to actually change the essential character of the merchandise. And so just talking about that piece right off the bat, what does that mean? If you take a pound of pot and you have somebody in the back room rolling it into joints, does that actually change the essential character? That It's just an argument before the court. And will, will you win that or not? Or do you have to really change it? Like maybe you take flour in and you process it into an edible. That would be definitely changing the essential character of the merchandise. So you've got to be um, careful to make sure you are meeting that kind of broad definition of changing the, the essential character. If you are, then you can use the full absorption method of inventory costing right here. And I've highlighted this down in the bottom of this. It says, for purposes of this section, the term financial reports means financial reports, including consolidated financials that shareholders, partners, beneficiaries, or other proprietors for credit purposes. Um, and so that's very important, we'll see, because um, 
that's going to affect how you do this month in and month out. And not just, we saw so many dispensaries just looking at all this non-cannabis and cost accounting stuff at year end once a year. And you just can't do that if you're going to try to hold this up in court. Um, not seeing your screen. That's okay. That's where you can Google the entire code. Naomi, I think you're not on the slides. You need to go back to the slide screen. Andrew, I think you shared your screen somehow. And, and mine is no longer being shared. It looks to me like you're on the tab. You have a two tabs open. Okay, just a second. I don't see it. On I didn't share. So there's two tabs. I'm seeing on your screen, you have two tabs. One is 471.11 and one is the retail cannabis. Yeah. There you go. Okay. I've never opened this before. Oh, I click. I must have. Oh, there's a clickable link. In yeah, it. there's a clickable link. Okay, so that's um, what happened. Um, all right. So going back, um, scroll forward one more there to so four seventy one says production costs. Um, costs are considered to be production costs to the extent that they're instant to and necessary for production or manufacturing. It includes direct production costs, that would be your direct materials and labor, and also fixed and variable indirect production costs. So it allows for a pretty wide range of costs to be, to be plugged into inventory, which will eventually go to cost of goods sold, which is what 99 out of 100 dispensary owners want because they're trying to lower their tax bill. So how do these costs flow? Basically, costs are paid and recorded in the general ledger, like rent or utilities or labor, and they're recorded. And then at the end of the period, usually that'd be month end, you can take part or all of certain costs on your trial balance, and you can allocate them into inventory and cost of goods sold using some kind of re reasonable allocation method. Direct Direct costs, labor, and materials are allocated 100% inventory, and then indirect costs are allocated using the cost accounting, which we'll go into a little farther. Um, I'm gonna answer one question. Lynn is asking how often does one deal with the cash discounts approximating a fair interest rate? I've never seen that, so I think that's not a, um, a, a key part of 471-3. So let me go into the three different, so there's three different types of indirect costs. Again, read and reread this code because it's pretty long, but they clear they spell out very clearly the three different types of costs and what you should do or not do. So the first category of costs are things that should be included in the cost accounting and allocated to inventory and cost of goods sold. The second category are things you should not put in there in cost of goods sold or inventory. And the third, category are things that can be or must be included or excluded depending upon the treatment of cost by the taxpayer in his financial reports. Remember we defined that earlier. Those are the reports that the investors and lenders and management uses and also generally accepted accounting principles. So that's a very important and pretty clearly spelled, spelled out that this third category, if you want to include these, which most CEOs do, you need to be doing this in their recurring financials, which is a good way for us as accountants to make more money. Um, Hank is saying, I may be mistaken, but I'm sure that most dispensaries buy in bulk and repackage. Um, 
it's really all over the place. Many people buy in bulk and they just shove the, the cannabis in jars and they let people smell it and then they weigh it right there on the scale and buy you flour. Some of them do elaborate prepackaging, so it just depends. But again, the court has clearly stated the merchant, the essential character of the merchandise must be changed. So again, you could argue that. And so if this, if your client ends up in court with the IRS or whatever, and you said we did all this cost accounting because we were just making pre-rolls out of our pot, the court might say, well, you know what? Making, taking a pound of flour and making a pre-roll doesn't change the essential character. And Neither so, does testing our packaging. Yeah. doesn't change the character. Yeah, testing and packaging. Testing is done at the cultivator, not the dispensary. So they're required to have the pot tested before it gets to the dispensary. Packaging, again, would not generally be changing the essential character. Um, so again, as we go through all these different codes, you know, you can read it, I can read it. I have clients, you have clients. You can choose to be more aggressive with, with your client's tax returns or less aggressive. Your client has some input into that as well, about how aggressive they want to be or not be. Um, and so just as long as they're aware, they may win or lose once they get to court. Okay. And um, this, what we're teaching is federal law. So it's not specific to state law. So if they're doing um, it a little bit different in California so, and it's different on their state taxes, then. Yes. But, but even if that's the case, so say in Oregon or wherever, California, the di distributor does the testing. Um, I want to check on that because normally the um, cultivator, they're going to make tests as well to make sure they're not putting pesticides and whatnot in the pat. But this class right here, we're purely looking at the retailer. So yes, you have cultivators, you have processors, you have distributors, wholesalers, and whatnot. And so they can each do different cost accounting depending on what they're doing or not doing. But we're specifically looking at what a retailer does. So what does this mean, a closer look? Um, so basically first, the last sentence means that a client must be doing the accounting as we talked about. Um, during the year and their monthly financials. It spells out the three categories. You need to follow that closely. Um, we make our clients follow that closely. We've seen, so there's category two, which I'll show you, which includes things like advertising and sizing and selling and selling and selling. Include things that it says clearly do not include this. 90% um, of Canon companies are doing this wrong. That's just my experience looking at many, many dispensaries, tax returns, and clients. Nine times out of 10, they're just trying to be super aggressive and they're not following these rules. So we can help them. Um, and you know, a lot of times they're not even aware they're doing it wrong and they're not going to be aware until they're in court with the IRS. But once they get to court, and whether it's Harborside or Altermans or whoever, that's when the IRS is winning. You know, most of these cases, when you really look at it, the Champs case was one, but most of the others, if not all of them, have been won by the IRS. And so what does that tell you? Most of these companies are doing it wrong. So we'll look real quickly at these three categories, and I highlighted in red. So category one are things you're going to put in inventory and, and cost of goods sold, repair, maintenance, utilities, rent, indirect labor. Um, indirect materials, tools, and cost of quality control. So if you have a back room in a dispensary and they're really making new products out of the flour or whatever, into edibles or whatever it might be, 
you can allocate part of the space and the materials and the utilities and the rent and all those things. Um, so it is beneficial if they are doing that. And then the second category, go to the next slide. These are a pretty long list of things you cannot, no matter what, put into cost of goods sold. And, and we've seen this a lot incorrectly added. Things like marketing, advertising, selling, interest, income taxes, um, salaries to officers, et cetera. So again, don't let your clients, this isn't even one, this isn't even a category being aggressive or not aggressive, just don't do it. And then the third category is if you're doing this in your normal treatment in the taxpayer's financial reports, but only if such treatment, and this is again, right out of the code, is not inconsistent with generally accepted accounting principles. So to me, this is saying, your entire financials do not have to be gap. So I don't know, say you have stock options at a company. They may not be doing derivative accounting under gap. What this is saying, they're looking at inventory. So the inventory should be using gap cost accounting if you want to have these deductions in your financial reports. It's not saying your entire financials have to be gap, but I think it's saying clearly your inventory and cost accounting. But these can be some really big dollar amount things, depreciation, taxes, employee benefits, um, strikes, rework labor, scraps, spoilage, um, officer salaries, insurance costs, factory admin. So it can be make a difference. And so we have dispensaries that have opened up a little processing plant off to the side or, or even doing edibles or really making new products out of the of what they're getting out of cultivation just so they can add in some of these um costs okay awesome okay, awesome so, so oh do you guys oh. hear an echo okay maybe i just hear it so now let's get into some of the non-cannabis information so this is specific to retail companies this is the opportunity for them to separate some of their revenue streams outside of 280e because some of these retailers have legal businesses meaning they're selling t-shirts or bongs or vape pens these are non-cannabis related products and you can deduct cost in um, operate it like a normal business. However, you have to be careful with these non-cannabis divisions. It has to be something um, that is profitable, um, substantial, or clearly heading, heading that way. So you can't have a cannabis business that sells t-shirts on the side with the business owner's name and address and phone number on there as like a marketing tool. You also can't have t-shirts that may be just, you know, regular t-shirts. However, you're making $10,000 a year off the t-shirt business and you're making $10 million off the cannabis business. So that's not substantial and you won't be able to take a bunch of the deductions into your t-shirt business because it's not, it's not very substantial. It doesn't require that you have a separate entity <clears throat> because that would, if you, if you were to do that, then you would be in a position where you would need two separate cash registers because if they come in and they buy um, some flour and a vape pen or and a bong or something like that, you don't want them to have to separate out those transactions. So for the most part, you'll probably keep that in one entity. However, you do need to use some type of class accounting in order to separate those out so that you can account for the non-cannabis uh, as a separate business. In, um, other factors as far as having separate employees or managers will help to help di differentiate this as a separate business. And remember that the court will look at the, 
economic substance. They look at substance over form when they're looking at a cannabis versus a non-cannabis division. So it doesn't really matter if you have a complex legal entity structure where you have a management company and you have um, a leasing company and all these different companies, but at the end, they're all working in the cannabis division and they're all supporting that cannabis division and that's all this leasing company only leases to this retail company and they don't have other you know companies that they're leasing to the the irs will look at that and say you know these are all cannabis and you may end up with being double taxed for all the revenue that's going back and forth between these legal into these legal structures um so you have to be very very careful when you have a non-cannabis division and then if it's done correctly um <clears throat> You may not have a huge benefit. Um, there will be some additional costs, so you have to be able to maintain these two separate businesses. Uh, but if it, you know, if it works out for your business, if you're able to save enough money for your business owner, then you can go for it. But we, you know, we teach in our business do not try to beat 280E with all these different divisions and these different legal entities and and whatnot. Sometimes the cost to actually operate those businesses are higher than your tax savings. And also, as we transition this next slide, Hank, you said back one slide on K on the on the category two costs is actually two slides back. Um, number K, it says pension contributions. You can't put pension contributions in the cost of goods sold and inventory. Um, I that said, I don't know of any client that has a pension contribution, so I don't I don't think that's going to be a huge deal one way or the other. But maybe some do have that, but it says you cannot include that. The 401k matches, I would guess the same thing. They're not included. Um, but I can't guarantee that. I didn't see the actual 401k match in there. So so, the, so now getting into the, the tracking of non-cannabis divisions. So you can, so again, if you're going to have a non-cannabis division or entity or whatever and try to deduct some non some ordinary business expenses, which you can. So remember, 280E says, if you're a cannabis company, you cannot deduct anything other than cost of goods sold. So the whole purpose of having a non-cannabis division is so you can deduct some other ordinary expenses like advertising, like selling, like interest, like all these other normal deductions that most non-cannabis companies have. And so the first question is, um, do you have something that's substantial and sizable and worth tracking? So normally the, the IRS is going to look, does this actually make business sense? You know, they compared in one case to Barnes and Noble. Is this a bookstore and a gift store or is it really just a bookstore? So you need to make sure this really makes sense. So we have one client that like has a separate coffee shop in another building and he's got sells all kinds of other merchandise in there he also has kind of a cannabis museum it's educational he um, rents out space to wellness groups and whatnot so you can be pretty creative with non-cannabis divisions but when the court comes in to look at it they're going to say is this really real and is it substantive so if if your non-cannabis division doesn't make much money it's not going to get much benefit so i think the first kind of before we get into what to do what we saw people thinking they could do incorrectly, they would have a cannabis company or say a retailer and it was doing 5 million of sales. And then they also sold bongs and t-shirts and say they sold 50 grand. 
well, they over in this non-cannabis division, they would say we we got 50 grand of sales, but our payroll and labor was I don't know a million and a half dollars. We're going to allocate half of that, 750 grand, to this non-cannabis division of T-shirts, and so this non-cannabis division is going to have a huge loss, and and meanwhile the cannabis division is going to have a huge profit. So the courts would not allow that. You you can't just plug a bunch of cost into some kind of pretend entity. So that's the first and foremost. So if you don't have a real substantive business, it's not going to get you a huge benefit to start off with. But that said, if you if your client does have a good business that they think is a good legitimate business, that can include many things from wellness to renting out space to um, selling other products or coffee, whatever it is, um, then you can do this. Someone's asking, do they need timesheets? The more detail you can get to this, the better. So this is a very high level example. Like we looked at indirect labor, the owner, the CFO, employee one, two, three, and four. Um, and so really we looked at two breakouts of this labor. So first, we were looking before even non-cannabis, we're looking at, is there some inventory preparation? That's what we were talking back in 471.11. So the owner actually was putting 20% of his time into actually changing the essential nature of the goods. And so part of that payroll would be over here, this first kind of column that says 78,000. There's some inventory payroll before we even look at non-cannabis division. So that could be done via the cost accounting we talked about in the other webinar and these previous slides. And then on the far right, we're looking at, okay, simply, what is cannabis time? What is non-cannabis time? So if the owner overall said, regardless of his 2080 split, 50-50 is spent on cannabis and non-cannabis, First of all, you know, if I was the IRS, I would say, oh, is that really true? Are you really spending half of your time on non-cannabis? So you want this to make sense. If so, I'm going to, in these, a couple of these slides, we've highlighted some things. So specifically, I can point out things that may or may not look good. So right off the bat, if I was the IRS, I would question that. I would say that doesn't seem reasonable based on your overall sales. Um, now, next row down, the CFO, 100% of his time is non-canna. Um, is that true as well? And so the CFO could say, well, I don't ever touch anything in the cannabis business. I don't touch the plants or sell it. But really, if the CFO is overseeing the accounting, some of his time should be on, on cannabis time. And so however you allocate this, so the more support, the more reasonable it sounds, there is no rule about how to do this or not how to do this. So if you're looking at labor costs, whether it's a CFO owner or employee one, two or three or whatever, make sure there's either timesheets or, or there's many software apps that you can actually track it on your iPhone, however it's done so that you can support what the heck you're doing. So say employee number four is spending, you know, 80% of his time on non-canna and employee three is doing 50-50, make sure there's actual support or even job descriptions. Like maybe employee three is, or say employee number four works over at the coffee shop and just occasionally helps close down the cannabis side, that might be totally reasonable. 
And then, so that's for the labor kind of items that you're going to be allocating. And then you also have to get with the client on square footage. So this first sheet we're looking at, you are working with the client to get this information out of them. And hopefully you're asking for some supporting documentation. So just to, at a broader, bigger scope on everything we do in accounting, cannabis, non-cannabis, we want support for every transaction every accounting, every journal entry. And so for this, yes, if it's time, let's get support. Same on square footage. So if you look at square footage, store one, 1,800 square feet, and we're going to allocate 80% of that to cannabis and 20% to non-cannabis, make sure that looks reasonable to go in there and, and see they've made measurements, look at it with your own eyes or, or have them, if you're not, if it's remote, make sure you can see a floor layout of whatnot see what they're actually selling and what, what they're actually doing. And so, so Hank is saying, what if you have a full-time employee that only does purchasing? So again, purchasing what? So if they're purchasing, you know, 99% of their sales comes from cannabis, I would say 99% of the purchasing guy is in cannabis, not non-cannabis. So again, it, you, the question is purchasing what? Is he purchasing t-shirts and cups or is he purchasing cannabis? In most dispensaries, the purchasing people are purchasing cannabis. So that, so again, if you go through this exercise and you realize that very little cost is gonna get allocated to the non-cannabis division, you need to step back and say, is this actually really worth it? Are we gonna be saving the CEO money? You might be saving him a little bit of money, but that might be offset by, there's definitely more accounting costs to do all this separate tracking. So let's jump to the next slide. So basically this would summarize once you do all your calculations. And so over here on the right, it says non-cannabis division, 60% um, labor is non-cannabis, 70% square footage. And then we also look at relative sales, which is done down here in the lower right. So this is a really important graph, very high level, very easy to do. All POS systems will pull this data quickly. And so if you look at each store, year-to-date sales, cannabis, non-cannabis, we can quickly see real clearly that 96% of their sales are coming from cannabis. So right off the bat, that's going to be a little bit of a red flag to the, to the IRS saying, huh, is this really just a cannabis store and this other things that you're selling? Is it really a separate business one? And, and first of all, before we ever talk about legal entities or, or divisions or whatever you want to do, they're just looking at it from a broad economic sense. If your store is down there in the corner, whether you've got five legal entities or one, they're going to look at, okay, cannabis, non-cannabis. And if your non-cannabis stuff is basically bongs and t-shirts that say, buy weed on the t-shirts, they're going to say, is that actually just advertising for the cannabis? They may not say any of that is actually non-cannabis. And so it, you need to look at it very carefully and make sure you're doing it right. So on a relative percentage basis, this is 4% of sales. And so now we'll, we'll look at how you can actually allocate the various costs into a cannabis versus non-cannabis. So remember, it said, and in these court opinions we've seen, that if you're gonna say you have a non-cannabis business, you need to be tracking it separately. So that's one of the requirements. So to track this separately every month, you have to somehow be able to break out a separate non-cannabis P&L every month that your owner's looking at and to show, are they really managing this as a separate business or is it really just incidental and part of the main business? 
And so there's a couple ways to do this. There's actually several ways and you could come up with your own ways on top of that. One way, some clients write and say QuickBooks has class accounting um, or different, you can use different softwares, but QuickBooks has a class feature. You can actually go in every time you enter an entry, which that would be the most complex and time consuming way. You could allocate part of that cost to cannabis, part of it to non-cannabis based on your allocation methods. So one method is to come in and just forget all the labor we looked at, forget all the square footage and just say, what's the relative percentage? In this example, the non-cannabis division is basically 4% when we look at sales. And so you could just go down the entire expense, trial balance, every last expense, and just say, we're gonna allocate 4% of those costs to the non-cannabis division. So we'll, that is the easy way. If you do that, and in this example, we did this, we looked at all the revenues, paraphernalia, clothing, and other, they sold 120,000, and cost of goods sold was 61, and then operating costs, we were allocated 4%, and that came up with a little bit of operating costs, and so we had a, a decent income over here. So that doesn't give you a ton of benefit to use that method. So if it only is 4%, you probably got a problem right off the bat with the IRS may question it, but it probably makes sense to do it the second way. We'll go to the next slide and we'll look at that, where you actually go line by line and you, you will go down, and we'll show this in a couple slides, but you'll go down each different P&L expense account and you'll say, okay, that's utilities. We're gonna use square footage. So that square footage would be the 17% allocation. And if you do this method, you actually will get more cost to allocate to the non-cannabis P&L, which is the goal. And so you will get some of that cost that you're hoping to actually deduct on your return. But again, let's just look at this. So if you see this line over here, operating cost $25,000. So we've done all this work for this non-cannabis division so that we can come up with a deduction of $25,000 and say that's gonna save them $7,000 of tax. Well, is it, first question is, is it worth all that extra work to save $7,000? Secondly, the IRS may come in and say, that's not gonna work anyway because it's such a small division. Um, and thirdly, the, um, what was my other point? Well, just, I think just that, that it was, it's such a small amount, is it really worth your while? And so again, what people were doing historically incorrectly, they would have this huge balance sheet and, and P&L of millions of dollars of expenses, and they would try to make this operating cost instead of 25,000, 250 grand or a million. But what happens if you do that? you end up with a huge loss and then you lose again because the IRS will come in and say, nope, this doesn't work. You have no intention of making this a profitable business. It has to be profitable or clearly shown it's on its way to being profitable. And so that doesn't work either. Um, so again, you can do this right. The non-cannabis division piece of this, um, you can save a little bit of money. If you do it right, the best case scenario is if they actually have a huge non-cannabis business. So we saw one company in, I think it was in, in California on the coast, they had a surf shop connected to their dispensary and it was a huge business. They were making multi-million. They were actually making more in sales off the surf shop than the dispensary. That was a great example of somebody um, 
having a really big non-cannabis division and being able to deduct a lot of costs. I'm seeing some questions too. Um, hi, are there any local taxes inventoryable? Lorenzo, again, read, they listed out real clearly in the 471 in the slides that we just did, but, but Google 471.11 and scroll down till you get to the category one, two, and three cost, and they will list all those, those out. Um, so Ruth is saying, my recent experience in calling on potential clients, 471, three or 11 allocations, no one seems to be aware of this and the legal aspect of it from a tax perspective. Seems no one wants to discuss federal because everyone is focused on the states. Um, how do you explain this? So they should be very concerned about federal. I, so what we do with clients, we show them some of these court cases because the IRS is gonna come in there and audit. There may be state tax deductions that are allowed and allowable for their state return. So if they're a client, they need to make sure they're doing their state income tax return and also their federal correctly. And so most of the people we talk to are very concerned about their federal tax return because those are big, big dollars. Federally, you get no deductions under 280E. And so we usually talk to CEOs and we go speak around the country, they come up to us and they're like, how do we beat 280E? How can we do this lower? Um, so we show them um, how we think they should do it right, but also um, the court cases on what happens if you do it wrong. Um, Janice is asking now that hemp CBD products are not class one, if you're in a state that allows CBD sales in the same site and cannabis in the same site, would this be a potential situation where you could split it? That's a really good point. So if CBD is non-cannabis, that could be a great strategy. So say you have a, a dispensary that is selling, or even, even if it's not allowed, they're separate licenses, you could have one building with one stop CBD and one shop next door cannabis, but the same employees and overhead. Yeah, you could probably um, break that out because that is a non-cannabis. So um, great point on that. So on this, this was showing it. So if you went down, so remember they did that allocation for all those employees that averaged out to 61% of the payroll was non-cannabis. So for example, payroll taxes, indirect labor, $2,000, you could throw 1200 of that on your non-cannabis P&L as an expense. And then you could use 17% for all the different square footage items. And then for things like advertising that are neither square footage or labor, you would use the 4%. And so it doesn't take that long to do this, but especially if you get, get your templates down. Um, again, I know a lot of you in our program are on there. This is all in the cost accounting folder in the file, these complete spreadsheets. Um, but again, it's, it's just gotta be done reasonably and defendable and make sure you're doing as many factors as you can to show it's a real business, it's substantial, it's profitable, it's accounted for separately um, and show those things in case okay. the IRS comes auditing. Okay, awesome. And so we've, we've pretty much touched on most of these points here. Uh, the, the IRS is, knows what games are being played. They know that people are trying to use complex legal entity structures with no purpose, but they're looking at substance over form. So they don't, they don't really care if you have 50 legal entities. If it's just one business, they're looking at it as one business. Um, they know that people are adding a bunch of things just 
plopping them into cost of goods sold and inventory and not even um, following 471 correctly. They know that the, they have very small non-can divisions. I know at the beginning, before I really jumped into this industry, there were people who were um, selling t-shirts for like, you know, 50 bucks and then giving out the, the joint for free, which no, that's not going to work either. Um, uh, they know, and the IRS is winning. We're going to get next into some of the court cases that they are that that have shaped this industry and that we're seeing. Um, we hear, we see that these CEOs are giving poor advice uh, to play. These, they're giving, getting this advice from their attorneys as well as from their accountants who aren't fully trained or knowledgeable on how to do this pro pro properly. And so, uh, what we do when we speak across the country is we. Uh, teach cannabis CEOs that it's best to just do 280E correctly. They need to focus on building their, they need to be in this for the long haul. There's not, it's not going to be a quick win for cannabis right now. They need to just focus on building brand, market share, and location and growing vertically integrating. And that way down the road, three to five years from now, once it becomes federally legal, they're going to be in the best position to have the high valuations. They're going to be in a position because, you know, we have the uh, Coca-Cola trying to get into the industry. We have cosmetic companies trying to get into the industry. We have the alcohol companies and the companies who are able to make it through the storm right now will be best positioned to be part of those mergers and acquisitions. So you can probably save, I don't know, $100,000 in taxes this year trying to beat 280E, or you can be position yourself for a $100 million, $200 million buyout three to five years from now. Um, and so that's what we teach.